Welcome to the Top Order Podcast Test Cricket just about back on our horizon very, very shortly with the first test at Lords on the 2nd of June. We are going to talk New Zealand's build-up to that game, a warm-up match against Sussex. We'll talk a little bit about England's bowling woes and then on to the IPL playoff picture. All the haters coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, I, I know my Instagram feed is kind of blowing up with the anticipation of freshly cut grass in England and the sound of leather upon willow and popping champagne corks and pims on the balcony at Laws. But we're not too far away from that first test match. New Zealand, a little bit of a damp squib with their warm-up game. Um, covers on no play, I think, on the first day, even though um, it, it was sunny in Hove um, on that first, uh, first afternoon um, of the game. You guys have got a run out. Um, got some, yeah. Certainly got some runs on the board and, and a decent bowl as well. So, what's the camp looking like, Lippy? You've got your, your your eye to the eye to the main chance with that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you sort of said the the key words there were, were run out, and um, you know, we were just talking off air. I was trying to figure out, uh, I guess, how many frontline Sussex players were, were playing in this game, and it sounds like n- not many. Couple you, you mentioned there, Binksy, that, that played. Haynes, uh, I was watching the commentary yesterday when he was batting, and uh, the commentary was uh, obviously very parochial, uh, but they were they were talking him up as a possible England future future uh, England opener. Uh, and he looked very good for a for a little while there, but you know I think it's it's just as we said it's a run out. The bowlers of uh, Matt Henry I saw talk about how how good it was to just run up and and bowl a few different spells, and um, you know all the batters got runs. I don't know. I mean, th- I guess the important thing for New Zealand or um, you know the downer I suppose for New Zealand is that there's already COVID in the camp. Uh, we had Henry Nichols, Blair Tickner, and um, bowling coach Shane Jurgensen. Test positive. Um, I suppose the positive is that hopefully uh, they'll be sort of out of it pretty quickly. I think they have to do five days in, in isolation. But obviously there's still the, the lingering doubts over Henry Nichols has gone over there with a, a calf strain. So, yeah, we're sort of trying to figure out, I suppose, what to how, how his injury might progress and what impact that might have on the squad. I guess, though, from a, from a tour perspective, this is probably an ideal start for New Zealand. We had our, our chance with the bat. Almost everyone got to bat. Definitely everyone in the top order got a very good bat. And then our bowlers came out, bowled their spells, didn't have to you know, bowl for days or anything like that. They bowled good areas from what I could see. Mm. Uh, the, the returns are really good, especially for guys like Jacob Duffy, mm. who bowled really well. And, and the key guy I want to bring up is Michael Bracewell. So for me, the key takeaway is how he is being used. I know Henry Nichols is having that uh, COVID scare, as you said, but... He batted ahead of his competition in the top four, uh, the competition in the form of Rachin Ravindra, I guess, or um, Conde Gronholm, whoever you want to look at in that all-rounder mould. He got more overs than Rachin Ravindra. Do you genuinely think, Stu, that, that Bracewell can bat six, five, four and be that sole spinner in our attack? Or is that, not necessarily for this series in particular, but do you think that's a plan or something that the New Zealand team is exploring? I don't know. I guess we talked about it a little bit in uh, in the last podcast in that there are definitely signs that the New Zealand selectors at least see him as someone with potential to be a spin bowling all-rounder and a, a, bowl, and a player that can contribute, I suppose, in all different formats. They picked him for this test squad. I, I, I agree. I thought it was really interesting that he batted at four. 
you know, when you think about uh, Ravindra in terms of uh, where he bats for, for Wellington, he's an opener. Uh, you look at, I mean, Bracewell bats four or five for Wellington in, in, ter- in the Plunkett Shield, but on uh, all, you know, all the stats would suggest that Ravindra is the more highly regarded batter, at least at Plunkett Shield level. Um, but they've, they've given Bracewell the opportunity. In saying all of this, I wonder if it'll flip around for the next game and, you know, maybe Ravindra gets more of an opportunity to bat up the order. Who knows? But again, same as you said, he he didn't, uh, he bowled more overs than Ravindra. I suppose when you've got Ajaz Patel, the, the skill sets cross over a lot with Ravindra and, and Ajaz. So if you're going to bowl a left arm spinner, you might as well bowl the better one. And Ajaz is, is the better left arm spinner there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I looked through, I was trying to find, I suppose the the evidence i guess for michael bracewell if you're going to make a statistics case or something for him going to be in the the uh the test side but it's it's just not there i mean his first class record it's 33 with the bat 47 with the ball you look at his like last three years he's averaged he averaged 19 in the plunkett shield this year 40 the previous year and, and 26 the year before that with the ball it's like 50 in the last couple of years it's not there, but I think, as I said last week, there's been signs with the ball that his offspin is developing a great deal, and uh, you know he's he's certainly shown it uh, in white ball stuff that he's got the chops to score some runs. So, look, I, I don't know. I I wouldn't pick him. At, I certainly wouldn't be picking him at four or five. You know, we're talking about Nichols. You know, potentially going to have to miss the first test. I mean, I don't think he'd be in the reckoning to, to fill that role. I mean, Raj, have you given any thought to what, what we would do with no nickels in that first test? Because actually that side sort of almost picks itself except for the all rounder potentially for that, uh, for that first game. But if nickels is out there, there does start to be a few question marks on who you're actually going to select. So I guess you've got a few options here. You've got the likes of Michael Bracewell, you've got Hamish Rutherford, and you've probably got Daryl Mitchell, right, to f- to fill that five spot. I think if you are going to put someone there, they need to be a better first. Uh, I think definitely I think so. there. Uh, out of those three, probably the most exciting person I'd like to see is have a look at what Michael Bracewell has to offer. Um, don't like handing out debuts just willy nilly, and I think he's got to earn it. I don't know what what the selectors think about that in that in in, in that regard. But I just wouldn't want to take Daryl Mitchell as as the number number five in there. Me personally, I know maybe around the table you guys have a bit of a higher opinion around him with the bat. What do you guys think if that uh, f- number five spot's unable to be filled? I think it'd be a little bit harsh to drop Daryl Mitchell just on the basis that he's done the job for New Zealand over the last eighteen months. Whenever he's been asked to step into the test side or even into the white ball side and do a job with the bat, invariably he's done the business for them. If you have a look at their projected top four, it's probably. Latham and Young, Kane and Conway, pretty solid top four for New Zealand. And then you've got a guy hopefully coming in on the back of the platform to be able to build an innings and bat with one of those top four guys. So I think Daryl Mitchell is your tried and true option at number five. For me personally, I wouldn't mind seeing them go with Ratchan Ravindra. If they think he's got a future in the New Zealand setup as a spin bowling all-rounder type option, this is the perfect opportunity for him to come into that side ahead of Blundell, ahead of de Grandholm probably, or, or Mitchell, whoever you go with in that all-rounder spot. probably going to be de Grandholm, I would think. Uh, I would think. have thought so, but yeah, yeah who knows. Um, but he also gives you an option. So I think that the selectors would be d- debating between 
Daryl Mitchell as a front runner, and then Ruchin Ravinder is potentially the the um, the alternate option. Yeah, it's it's difficult to know. We were talking about this off air a little bit with the quality of this Sussex attack, and then you look at the scorecard. You know, Blundell batting ahead of De Gronholm, but. Really, I, I I wanted to just unpick the fact that everybody got fifty pretty much, and then retired as a batter, particularly getting into your work in different conditions. I just wonder whether they might have missed a trick here in terms of you know the likes of Latham and Young and maybe Rutherford bat, batted three, really getting an opportunity to actually put a, a score on the board and actually bat for you know a pretty decent period of time. I don't think anyone batted for. Um, longer than Latham. I think he batted for nearly three hours, but everyone else has just had like, you know, an hour, an hour and a half at the crease. It, it's no more than a, a decent net, really. I, so I wonder what we've learned from that. And I, I think that probably this second warm-up game um, is going to be all important. I don't know if your guys, certainly Kane, I don't think it's going to arrive in time for that game. Or I think he's going to play some small some part, part, but he's not going to be there for the start of the game is what they've no. said, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so be interesting to see how that plays out and whether they do actually go into that um, second warm-up game with a mentality of we're going to go and try and win this game and, and play properly or, or is it just another middle practice for them? I don't know. Have you got any sense of whether what sort of this county select 11 might look like? Because, I mean, um, and sometimes when you see these sides that uh, at least that come to New Zealand shores, it ends up being the players that haven't made the first-class sides that are playing that week, you know, it's sort of, I guess, almost second 11 players or young and intriguing prospects. But then, you know, you can go the other way and go, well, actually, this is sort of like an England Lions game almost. And, uh, you know, get some of those guys like a Harry Brook, who potentially is, uh, you know, in the frame to play in the series at some point to get them around against the New Zealand bowlers. Well, look, I fully expect to log on tomorrow and see the side be named and it'd be completely <laughs> opposite to what I say right now. The, the fact that this is called an England Select 11 or something like that, rather than, Select 11, um, yeah. rather than an uh, England Lions, I think tells you a massive amount. Um, County Championship is six games deep now, um, so they play you know, a pretty decent block at the start of the season. Um, I think we've seen a lot of runs. Um, we've seen problems with the cricket ball. So Dukes have had to manufacture a new batch of cricket balls because they've said that they've been even more, you know, batter friendly than they probably would have wanted them to be early in the season. You'll already know that, you know, the likes of Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, um, they've played, you know, the games to get them back into some form of form and fitness. We've got a real problem with the bowling stocks outside of that as well. So I can't see us picking, you know, the next cabs off the rank. Um, you know, it's not going to be someone like Potts because he's in the, the, the test squad. I, I don't see them picking that next crop because they might actually need them um, for, for the third test if we, if we get a little bit unlucky. The only thing I think you might see is someone like a Chris Wokes who's coming back to fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, he might not get on the park for Warwickshire. So they might say, well, this is an ideal opportunity for him to play um, in something like match conditions. But I wouldn't expect a great, um, a great test um, from this uh, from this second warm up game for you. So uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what what happens over the course of next week or so. And um, th- there's a couple of little New Zealandy news things that I want to dip back to. But while we're sort of on this England New Zealand sort of series, let's let's talk a little bit about this uh, England squad that's been named. I mean, you mentioned there. Uh, Chris Wokes, we, we just talked about, or Sussex and Ollie Robinson's been playing in this game, kind of coming back from his own injury worries. 
what is going on with these England bowlers? All of them breaking down with stress fractures. And, um, you know, we've seen Joffre Archer as well. I mean, it's, I think for the game, it's incredibly sad to see these are some of the most exciting bowlers that, um, you know, that not just England has, but, I mean, particularly in Archer, you know, super exciting players to watch. It's it's disappointing to see them all break down. It's, it's lucky they had um, Borden Anderson resting up during the last series, <laughs> isn't it? Big C, I had that over to you. Yeah, look, I, I don't um, carry the physique of a fast bowler or, or pretend to have any knowledge of this. Um, the, the bit that's concerning is you look at this list, Woodstone, Mahmood, Fisher, Jofra Archer, Sam Curran, his brother Tom Curran as well. Um, there's a whole host of these guys that are getting um, stress fractures. Now, I'd imagine that some of this is in the diagnosis, right? So, you know, the the, um, the scans are getting better. They're scanned more regularly. They probably pick up on these things more than they did um, back in the day. But it's got to be a concern. And I've got to be honest, I don't know which school of thought to subscribe to. You've got um, the likes of the medics that are saying, you know, it, it is a fact that if you bowl more than 35 overs in a week, you are more likely to get a stress fracture than if you bowl less than 35 overs in a week. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got someone like Steve Harmison who's saying, unless you bowl um, 35 overs a week, you can never get your body um, fit to bowl quick for long periods of time. So um, I do think some of the older players have got this sort of rose-tinted, you know, glasses. You know, we, we've had um, a lot of injury around sort of England's fast bowling stocks historically. So I, I, I do think that that's a little bit of, oh, actually, if I go back and look at the uh, look at the data, that there's probably a lot a lot of injuries. But it's definitely a concern um, for for England because those stocks are really diminishing now, and um, really only a couple of guys that are in and around that sort of 88 mile an hour marker, which. Um, everyone says he's a difference maker now in test cricket. So, yeah, n- not great news if you're an Englishman. And, um, I mean, that, obviously that's given a chance to Matthew Potts, who I will admit I had knew very little about. I, you know, went and watched some highlights of, uh, I think, his seven for the other day. He's made a great start to the county championship. Looks to have a bit of pace, or at least he did on that uh, seven for 40 that he took, that little video that I watched. Um, I mean, Binksy, do you know a lot about him? Can you fill us in a bit more? Do you think you'll get a run? Yeah, look, I think he will get a run because I think they need a little bit of a point of difference. Um, you know, I think they've got those two practitioners in um, uh, Stuart Broad and James Anderson who, you know, are, are shoe-ins to play at Lords. Let, let's be honest, unless they pull up, you know, sore or old um, <laughs> on the, the morning of the game, and then look, they're going to play. Potts looks good, and, and I think... The, the really good thing for him is he's played some cricket this year with Ben Stokes. So Ben Stokes, I think, has played at least two, if not three, county championship games and has uh, stood at slip to this kid. So knows what he can do. It, the, the biggest thing for me, he looks as if he keeps his paces up throughout the course of the day, which has been a criticism um, of the likes of Overton, um, of the likes of Robinson as well. Haven't been able to keep their, you know, their speeds up. So be really interesting to see if he can do that. But um, I think, you know, the cliche is he bowls a heavy ball uh, and hits a hard length. You know, those are the two uh, the, the two sort of cliches that have been trotted out. And, and look, he, he certainly looks as if he does. So um, big, strong lad. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him um, at the home of cricket. From a, a batting perspective, I saw the uh, name there, Harry Harry Brook and, and Matthew Potts, those new new players. I, d- I didn't know anything about them. So I, I've got uh, on the TAB Jack Leach and Alex Lees to be opening the batting um, <laughs> day one or two there at, uh, at Lords. But what, what do you think of the batting? What, what do you reckon the – what does the top order look like? You know, we were discussing this a bit earlier. It looks like Ollie Pope might sli- slide into that first drop position, which – 
I'm a bit dumbfounded by it, to be honest. I really like the look of, of Ollie Pope, but he just hasn't had the returns for me. Um, maybe that'll change now. But uh, yeah, what do you reckon about the, the batting? Before you jump in, Binksy, can I just can we can we spend a minute or two on Brooke because he was again, as Raj said, someone that I knew very little about. You know, I think you mentioned that he's played a he did play a, a white ball game for England in the Caribbean. In, yeah, in the Caribbean. But like, what is the deal with him? He's twenty three already. Played fifty three first class games at quite a middling thirty five. But he started the season absolutely on fire. His last five first class games, he scored one hundred and one, fifty six not out, eighty four, seventy seven not out, one hundred and ninety four. 123, 41, 82, not out. Just no failures. 758 runs, eight bats, average of 151. But this is unbelievable. It, like, where where has this come from? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I I think statistics can be a little bit deceiving, can't they? And uh, you know, it, he's certainly not going to average 150 over the course of his career. And if he does, um, Baldy will have to redo um, <laughs> his his algorithms for the the Test Hall of Fame. But look, I I think what we what we're looking at, and we've talked about it a little bit with New Zealand and Michael Bracewell in the course of the last couple of weeks. There is now, when your first class game isn't necessarily playing enough quality of cricket and quantity of cricket, that you have to take um, intelligence other than runs in, in terms of the makeup of particularly a young player. And I think England have looked at a lot of the guys that have scored runs in the county championship over the course of the last four or five years. They've pretty much all had a go and they've all you know failed, if, if we're being brutally honest. And mm. um, so the, the, they've obviously taken a shine to the way this lad prepares. Um, he's at a county, let, let's not forget, with former England captain Joe Root, with Johnny Bairstow, uh, with David Milan, who was giving him you know props earlier in the season as well. So mm. there's plenty of eyes on him and the way that he probably goes about his business from a training and, and preparation um, perspective. All of that said, I don't think he plays. Um, I, I think they've got Bairstow, um, is the incumbent, if you like, scored 100 in uh, the most recent series alongside uh, Crawley, who scored 100 as well. So I think both of those guys line up regardless of what you think about their um, their form. Pope, I think, has you know been penciled into bat at three, and I think it's almost inked in, really, um, unless there's any injuries leading into that game, because that's really the only spot that's open. So I think they've said, mate, if you really want to um, play, we, you know, we're going to back you, but this is the spot that you've got to come into because every bugger wants to bat number six in international cricket at the moment. Um, you're not going to get that luxury. You know, you, you are at three. And I think Brooks going to need to wait his, you know, wait his turn um, in that um, in that middle order. Um, Dan Lawrence, a little bit unlucky, was injured. Um, so I don't think it was considered. He scored 100 um, this week for Essex in his comeback as well. So there's a few guys with a similar, a tempo that are around that sort of four or five um, spot. Um, and look, I guess for, from a, an Australian perspective, it doesn't subscribe to the Ricky Ponting theory, is it, that you bring your young lad into about at six and then he goes up to three later in his career? Yeah, certainly an interesting one to bring Ollie Pope back into the team and then thrust him into the number three position, probably the most important position for England in the batting order because you've got Root and Stokes at ostensibly now four and six senior members of the side, and you throw Johnny Besto in there at number five, your middle order looks really, really solid and really experienced, but all your inexperience is in the top three. You've got Zach Crawley, only 24 years of age, Alex Lee's 29 years of age, but hasn't played a lot yeah. of international cricket, and now Ollie Pope, been dropped a couple of times now from Test Cricket, and he's making his comeback in, I don't think, his preferred position at number three. It's certainly Crick Info says he's a middle order batter, so is that his preferred position? It's an interesting one, because I think England have said, right, okay, 
Our two best batters, we think, are Root and Stokes. So we're going to bat them where they're most comfortable in the order. Four and six, locked and loaded. We think Johnny Bairstow is better at five than at three, so we'll bat him at five, and then it's up to the young guy to kind of fill in. It's kind of the opposite, as you say, to the Ricky Ponting mould. Your senior players should be taking the most dangerous parts of the batting lineup and protect your younger players a bit and give them a chance to make hay while the sun is shining and you're three for 190 or three for 230 rather than three for 45. So, yeah, I don't know about that thrusting Ollie Pope back into the top of the order. It's a it's a sink or swim approach. For, for, for Ollie Pope, I really hope that he makes a good fist of it because if he has another middling run and then goes back to county cricket, it might be a long time before we see him again. So I hope that England set him up for success in the way that he deserves because he's a talented young cricketer and deserves, having got back to the top level, deserves, deserves a run at it and a chance at success. But I'm not sure that sticking him in at number three against a really, really good seam bowling attack in good seeming conditions as we expect it to be for these two test matches is going to be the best way forward for him. Well, enough of England's potential woes for this test series. Lippy, you mentioned at the top of the trial there, we were going to come back to some uh, New Zealand um, bits and pieces. I, I know Baldy will be fizzing with um, some leg spin down in Canterbury with um, Ish Sodi and, and potentially playing alongside um, Todd Astle as well. But what else have we got in the domestic game, Stu? Yeah, look, I, I just did want to give uh, a shout out to Katie Martin, uh, who retired, uh, I think must maybe about a week ago or, the, you know, the news came out. But I guess her last game was uh, in that fair break tournament playing for the Tornadoes and uh, and coming off a winner, which uh, I think is, is the perfect way to for her to, to finish up. But, you know, I, I think a lot of things have been said about her and really... Uh, about her being, you know, an, an, a brilliant servant to, for the game on the field for for the White Ferns and for the Otago Sparks, but but just about it being a champion person. And I, and I think, you know, Baldy and I, we talked to her once, you know, but I, I think in the first two minutes of talking to her, you knew that she was just a genuine person who loves the game of cricket. And you could see that, uh, you know, from, from us when we were able to talk to her, but you could see that in every minute of her career, you can see it in commentary, and I, I think it's just she's been brilliant, and I'm really stoked to hear that she's carrying on. Uh, you know, and uh, she sounds like she'll be around the game. She's going to keep commentating for Spark, and uh, will st- and still be working with a lot of the young uh, wicket keepers in, in the game in New Zealand. And that's the fantastic outcome here is that she's going to be on our television screens and and on our radios moving forward because she's been a terrific voice for Spark Commentary. And as you said, Stuart, when we were fortunate enough to to talk to her on this humble little podcast, she was very giving of her time and I was instantly converted to being a Katie Martin fan. She's had a stellar career for New Zealand and and for her and for her province. And, And look, we wish her all the best in, in her future endeavours because I think she's going to be a massive success from a commentary point of view. She's one of those voices that's really in, easy to listen to. Like Frankie Mackay, she brings great insight into the game of cricket um, through the commentary box. And I think we're going to see a lot more of her and hear a lot more of her as we go forward, which is really exciting. Yep. And it, and I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a turning of the page, I guess, for the White Ferns in terms of the keeping. I think she's been, you know, she's been, I think, uh, I think it's 19 years or something that she's been, uh, in and around the New Zealand side, she's been the wicketkeeper for probably, you know, the, the lead wicketkeeper for prob- for well over 10 years of that. So, yeah, there's going to be a new face. I think in a couple of uh, weeks, I, I sort of saw that uh, the new 
uh, coach is supposed to be named pretty, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, we've got the Commonwealth Games coming up. So that team will be announced at some point. And um, yeah, there'll be a new, a new person behind the stumps there. And Lippy, we want to talk a bit of leg spin as well. Ish Sodi, who's been living down in Canterbury uh, for a little while, decided to make the move from ND, where he's been for, I think, at least 10 seasons or something like that. Uh, I don't know if it's 10 seasons. It could, could be close to 10 seasons. Yeah, started out in Auckland and then... Uh, I did a bit of research and it is 10 seasons. Wow. I, can, I can tell you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that actually makes me feel really, really old is why I didn't think it was 10 because, you know, I was still... He was playing in Auckland when I was when I was playing and I, I didn't feel like it was that long ago, but uh, it obviously is. But, yeah, look, it, and sort of news that absolutely delighted me when I saw it... Mainly, uh, well, and then I got a little bit disappointed because then I saw the next post was uh, Old Boys Collegians celebrating that Ish was coming to, to them and he's not going to the green and gold of, of Rickerton, so that was a bit disappointing. But look, on a on an, an actual fan of New Zealand cricket level, the, the thing that excited me the most is that in the press release there was a quote from Peter Fulton that said, I know Ish Harbour's ambitions to play test cricket again, so hopefully a new challenge will be exactly what he needs to achieve that goal. And that's what I loved about this. And I, I think on a number of levels for spin in New Zealand, this is really exciting because not only does Ish go to Canterbury and become the number one spinner, I would guess, probably in, in all formats for them, it means that there's actually a, a real path for Joe Walker to be the number one spinner in ND. And I thought he had a really encouraging year himself. And uh, he's had to sort of at times play... He, he's actually been sort of bowling ahead of Santner and Sodi in, in, at various times for ND over the past couple of years, but has had to be in a squad with those those other two internationals throughout the whole time. So, yeah, just very, very exciting. I hope it's something that works out for, for both Canterbury and for Ish. Yeah, it sounds like his family's all, all down there now, a move that, you know, makes sense on, on a number of levels. But, yeah, I, I would love to see him play, you know, Get a real give give Test cricket a real go again. I know when we took you know again when we talked to him, Baldy, we talked about the challenges that and how difficult I suppose it is when you're trying to develop your white ball game and all your variations and and all those kind of things. I mean, Baldy, you you know from your leg spin, you would know this when you're trying to actually do something and and develop one part of your game, it's very difficult to then focus on test cricket and trying to just be accurate and accurate and accurate. I find it difficult to do any of it, <laughs> let alone let alone master the variations. The thing that is exciting me about Ish Sodi's move down to Christchurch and down to Canterbury is that he will be able to attend the Todd Astle Finishing School for leg, breaks, uh, for leg spin bowlers. I'm really excited about that. I think there is a great mentoring opportunity there as Todd Astle kind of enters the twilight of his international and, and maybe even domestic career over the next couple of years. Certainly, he's as you, as you pointed out off air, he's not playing red ball cricket anymore, Todd Astle, and will probably only be playing white ball cricket. There is an opportunity for for Ish and and Todd to work together and to and for to mentor each other and for uh, Ish to pick up a, a lot of skills there and, and a lot of the mental side of the game as well. For someone who's been around New Zealand cricket for a long time, um, knows the conditions very well. I'm really excited about you know a, a dual leg spin pairing for the 
for the Canterbury side in the in the white ball. I don't have a preferred province uh, in New Zealand domestic cricket, but I think I might be able to adopt now uh, the Canterbury uh, province purely on dual leg spin. I'm not uh, sure I can no live without on the podcast <laughs> two cantabs. Um, but yeah, look, it, oh, it, purely for on field. I won't talk about the club scene. Uh, you, you won't you won't yeah. get that out of me. If I hear the word Rickerton come out of your mouth, that's the end of our friendship. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But in, in all honesty, I'd like to see Ish Sodi playing Test cricket again. Uh, there's something about having a, a wrist spinner in a test side that's just more attacking. You know, in New Zealand, for a long time, you know, the Vittori years, we've played a spinner that's not necessarily attacking. It's more and, of a and holding role. as well. So. Sense as well, you know. Even when you play Mitchell Santner in test cricket, it's a holding role. Even when you play Ruchin Ravindra, it's a holding role. And and other than Ajaz's tenfer, whenever he's been asked to do a job, invariably it's some kind of variation of keep it tight and make sure that you build wickets through pressure rather than trying to to go all out attack. And and I think it's a wonderful thing if that becomes part of the fabric of New Zealand test cricket going forward. So, boys, just about a week from now, almost to the minute, we will be gearing up for the final of IPL 2022. We know the four teams um, that enter this sort of lottery system now. Um, so the qualifier, the eliminator and the dominator or, or whatever they're called um, over the course of the next four or five days. First up is um, the Titans against the Royals and then the other expansion franchise, the Lucknow Supergiants playing the RCB in the eliminator. Um, but what have we got our eyes on over the course of the, the last week of uh, the IPL? Oh, Raj, you, oh, surely you've got to go first. You sent me a text on uh, whenever it was that when uh, when Mumbai did the did the job uh, to and, and Tim David, the million dollar man, saved RCB's season. Yeah, what a waste of crawl he was. Eh? <laughs> Look, I'm I'm happy that RCB is there. I think that they're going to add a little bit of spice to this um, end of the tournament because I think I was reading something that usually the I think 80% of the time the team that wins the, the first knockout game and goes straight to the final usually wins the thing or, or something like 78%. Mm. So I think you know any of those teams have the ability to turn up on a day and, and, and win. So that's it's going to be exciting. Yeah, and look, uh, you know, for anyone who, who hasn't followed all the eighters, yeah, so the Titans, Titans, Rajasthan play. Whoever wins that game is straight to the final. The other team goes to on to play Lucknow and uh, and the winner of Lucknow and RCB. And I mean, we just mentioned Mumbai, and I know this is an, an uh, IPL uh, little section of the podcast, but Baldy Tim David's little run here at the end of. You know, tr- actually finishing off a couple of games for Mumbai and, and making you sort of wonder what could have been, I suppose, for him if he could have put this together at the start of the tournament for them. Mm. Is is he is he going to be in the Aussie T20 World Cup squad? Is, is is I know this is a very small little sample size here, mm. but has that been enough? Do you think for them to go? Okay, wow, he can deliver on this biggest stage mm. and come in and you know fill the role and. I guess, be picked in some of these next series that lead up to that tournament. I think there's every chance. Uh, absolutely every chance. He'll certainly be in consideration for the squad. I'm not sure that he makes the best 11 in front of, you know, Stoinis, Maxwell, Marsh, Wade, all of those finishers that did so well for Australia in the World Cup last year. Um, there's potentially a gap at the top of the order there. There's pressure on Aaron Finch now. A lot of people coming out and saying that maybe it's time to overlook the 
obvious benefit of his leadership and maybe go with somebody else and there's enough leadership to go around. Let's get back off the Australians, though, and, and back onto the IPL. It's been a fantastic tournament for Gujarat and, and look now in particular, a first year in the running to get through to the finals. I just can't keep coming back to Rajasthan, though. They look just such a strong side. I know Gujarat have done well. I know LSG have done well throughout the course of the season. RCB have got the momentum. Is anyone able to beat Rajasthan, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think the thing is that actually all of these teams, when I look at them, they've all actually shown in recent weeks their weak, their weaknesses, I suppose. You know, you, you we talk about Rajasthan, but they've, they've, they actually haven't finished off this tournament the way that I thought they might. And actually it took Ravi, you know, 40 from Ravi Ashwin batting at five. This whole sort of, I think we, I don't even know if we talked about it on air, but we certainly talked about it off air when Ashwin was batting at three and we're kind of going, oh, that was a strange decision. I wonder why they did that. But the, this Ashwin as an all-rounder, it's not been some sort of gimmick. It's been a part of their plans that they've been bringing in. He came in at five in this game, saved them when they were, you know, that was going down the toilet and they, you know, they were going to be, in that qual- in that sort of knockout game, now they've got an opportunity to go straight through to the final. We look at you talk about Gujarat before. This whole time we've been going, where are the runs going to come from? But they keep coming every single time. They keep coming. They've got four players over three hundred runs in this tournament. They've batted extremely, extremely well. The the likes of uh, Pandya in. The- the way that he inspires this team and the way they talk about him from an Indian perspective, mm. uh, lifting up their national team, he's done it exactly here from uh, for um, the Gujarat Titans here. And to go along with that, the bowling has been really well, going really well as well. You've got Rashid Khan, Mohammed Shami, great in the wet. He's he's <laughs> he's um they've they've taken eighteen wickets apiece at in the low twenties, so they've yeah. done a great job. I remember talking about it at the start of the tournament, along with LSG going. Where are the other superstars going to stand up? Are there enough superstars against other teams? But they've spread the load around and they've, they've played really consistently throughout the whole tournament. Yeah, and Gujarat, I guess the question for them might be who sort of fills that last bowling spot. They've uh, they've sort of been playing around with... Uh, Lockie sort of seems to have lost his spot, really. Aldari Joseph's come in and done a, a really nice job for them, which... Um, you know, great for Alzari Joseph, not so great for us New Zealand fans trying to trying to watch Lockie steaming in. But yeah, you you've got to give it to them. Who you know, as we just said, every time that they you sort of wonder can they do this, someone else sort of steps up for them. And and yeah, like say Hardik Pandya, it's just absolutely delivering. So yeah, they've all been terrific. They're Gujarat side top to bottom. Everyone who's set foot on the cricket field has done a job for them. They've been outstanding this season. Overachieved, I think, in a lot of people's eyes, but they deserve to be there in the finals. And they're only one game away from the big dance in their first season. So fantastic for them. Look look now to beat RCB. De Kock and Rahul Dra- uh, Rahul are going to have to make a lot of runs, as they have done all season. I think they're both over 500 runs. I think there's only three players over 500, and I think they're two of them. They've been fantastic, uh, but they've got to find something else. Someone else is going to have to step up in the big game and take the big wickets of you know Faf and Coley and Maxwell and and so on and so forth to, to get them into the contest because there's so many big names in that RCB side now, and they get a sniff of a semi-final, and all of a sudden those big names come out to play. Well, and it was Coley, wasn't it? Coley finally delivered. All all season we've been waiting, and there it was in the, in the the biggest game of the season for them. I don't think I don't think you can give him all the plaudits because he showed up in one innings. But um, <laughs> King but, Coley, yeah, yeah, King Coley, can go. You know, long live King Coley. <laughs> well, boys, we, we've massively talked up uh, the Gujarat Titans there, so you can write them off uh, for 
making the final and, and potentially winning the tournament. But it wouldn't be a top order podcast uh, semi final show um, without predictions. So, who are we going to? start to etch the name of onto that IPL trophy for 2022 because by the time we record again um, it'll be all over by the shouting won't it guys so um, Lippy I might come to you first who's uh, who's going to take down the trophy I can't speak uh, I can't speak uh, without any bias here because I've got bits uh, about four different bits running through Rajasthan so <laughs> I'm desperate for them to win I'm trying to figure out how I can cover uh, you know and still uh come out of this with a strong showing but yeah look i've said all along i think they're the best side on paper but yeah i find it i find it hard i think raj said it just before when you actually look through these sides they've they've been fluctuating their form in the last month or so and the only one that hasn't is gujarat they're the only side that's been really consistent and always finding a way so if you were just looking on the form it's very hard to look past gujarat yeah, um, I think that RCB is going to win three straight and then take out the, the tournament. I think they'll play Rajasthan in the final and um, it'll be a good final and they'll win it in the second Super over. Ken Coley. Look, I, I, I can't look past uh, Rajasthan. Joss Butler has been quiet for the last two or three games, still leads the run charts and look, I, I fully expect him to um, yeah, lay down a marker for his return to test cricket later in the summer for England at some point and see uh, Rajasthan over the line. All right, so you've got Rajasthan, you've got Rajasthan, Raj, you've got RCB. Can I have the field then? Can I have Can I have, Can I I have? have Gujarat and look now? Is that all right? No. Well, I think, uh, I actually think, come on. I actually think, I think Gujarat is the one that you, yeah, I, I I'll, think, I'll take them. I'm, I'm happy to take uh, them. If I can't have the field, I'll have, take Gujarat. You have who you want, Baldy. Uh, don't, don't, feel free to have your own opinion. Don't, uh, don't play this game. Uh, I'll, I'll take whoever's left, but I'll take Gujarat. I, I think, they, like you say, they've been the most consistent team all season. They've got to win two games on the bounce. Even if they lose that first one, they've then got another two bites at the cherry to win the comp. I'll take Gujarat for me. Well, boys, pleasure talking to you about all things cricket again. We will be back next week to see, look now, Supergiants crowned <laughs> champions of the IPL. Uh, but for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. Stay tuned. 